Thank you for being here today. I know that some of you may have experienced some different things coming in. I know that I uh, hit elbows with a couple people and it felt weird. Um, I was trying to be hip, but the whole time I'm like, I I went to the city museum on Thursday and I crawled around in some rebar. So my elbows are kind of a little sore even. The first one I was like, ow, that hurt. I didn't know. Which that place is amazing, and it was a ghost house. So it was, it was crazy. There was nobody there, and it was awesome. If nobody's ever been there, it's basically just think of we just made tunnels through this whole building and then called it a museum. It's the children's playground. My kids and I just had a blast. All right, I had a blast. I made my kids have fun. Let's just be truthful. Going to continue our series today, The Road to Emmaus. I'm excited to talk about a section of scripture today that I I think is very common and a lot of people will know, but I hope by the end of it, it'll be an encouragement. Um, As many of you know that uh, my heart is heavy today and is with the cowards um, as they have lost their daughter, Mary. If you had not heard that, um, John is um, an elder in training here and is actually very soon uh, going to be an official elder at our church and... uh, they're, my heart is a little emotionally compromised. <laughs> but God is still God. I hug my kids a little tighter, and I choose to believe he is sovereign. We're going to be in Matthew today, and the excitement of this week. I found it curious, you know, this, this whole climate that we're in with the corona is just changing by the hour, I feel like, just daily. And last week, you know, it wasn't really nearly at the height that it was this week, but we talked about fear. Uh, We talked about how fear, if we let it, will cripple our faith, but if we press into and lean into our faith, it cripples the fear. And I hope that wherever you're at, um, whether you find yourself more angry at the overblown proportions that you perceive this to be, or whether you find yourself crippled with anxiety, and I know that both of us, most of us in here struggle on one end of that perspective naturally. Um, that you would remember that ultimately God is in control and faith is handing it back to God. Faith is handing it back to God and letting him be the one that is in control. That will ultimately cripple your fear. That will cripple your fear. But today's section just, it just flows so well from that. See, today's section comes on the back of two events that I won't get a chance to talk about, but it, it, it makes the context of what we talk about so much more fitting. We're going to talk about Jesus walking on the water. It's probably one of the most famous things. It's been talked about in movies. Um, you know, it's, it's that Bruce Almighty clip with Jim Carrey walking across the puddle. You know, and it's, it's, it's definitely been something that even if you didn't grow up in the church, you're very aware of that Jesus did. But the context of this passage, I I never really understood the depth of it chronologically, the way that this flows. And both Matthew and Mark record this event and John. Uh, Luke does not, which we don't really know why Luke chose not to, but he didn't. It's one of the few events that Matthew and Mark record that Luke does not. Uh, Luke was a very detail-oriented guy. It might have just been that he did not have access to the information or did not have the interviews to have, but he chose not to put it in. But Matthew and Mark both record it, and they both record it with the same chronological order. John's book is a separate case. I could take the time to explain it to you, but John wrote his gospel last intentionally, not as a chronological, but as a work towards belief. 
And so his book is not meant to be seen as historical account. It's meant to be a historical account that leads to faith. And so John's account doesn't have the same chronological order, but Matthew and Mark's both do. And this is the chronological order that Matthew and Mark record. It's John the Baptist, the person that basically calls Jesus into ministry and baptizes him, is beheaded. And then Jesus hears about it and then feeds 5,000 people, men, 20,000 children, men and women, feeds them with five loaves and two fish, and then right after that is where we get Jesus walking on water. So you have to know the fullness of this context, because the very first word in Matthew chapter 14 is this word, it's, it's immediately. And so you, you, when, when you see that word, you have to go immediately after what? <laughs> right? Like you have to go like immediately when? Like when? Like morning? Night? What are we talking about here? And the context is this, Jesus has heard the news, fed the crowds, and now immediately this, this story is taking place afterwards. Why that is important is because Jesus has been emotionally compromised by his friend being beheaded. This is someone that Jesus said was the greatest born among men. This is someone who Jesus said was absolutely a model citizen, above all else, and Herod, an evil ruler at the time, took his life. And then it's on the foot of, after that, Jesus feeds massive that he's trying to get away from them because he's afraid that they're basically going to start a riot and start the revolution for the kingdom too early. It's like, yeah, you got a plan? This ain't it. It's not a mosh pit. And so he's immediately starting that. Now, why that's important is because the disciples are with him. They've heard both these events. They've heard the news. Jesus is there. And so you need to understand the context of what happens next. See, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now, uh, when you read this without knowing the other two things that have come before it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You're like, why wouldn't Jesus go in the boat? Right? You're like, dude, what are you doing? Is, he set, is this a setup? It's a setup, right? While he dismissed the crowd, but after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I know the idea of being quarantined or having a little social distance right now may be intimidating or scary, but Jesus took time a lot to self-quarantine. took time a lot to get alone. Now, he didn't have the, uh, we don't have the same opportunities that he did because his transportation is not going to be a boat. He's just going to walk across the lake. And uh, that, you and I don't have access to that. I'm sorry. But what's crazy is that this was his plan. In fact, John's gospel records that he wasn't even going to stop and talk to the guys in the boat until he saw how scared they were. Like his plan was just to walk to the other side. And then he's like, oh, gosh, I guess they're scared. <laughs> I guess I'll talk to him. So later that night, he was there alone. And on the boat, was already considered distance from land, buffeted by the winds because the winds were against it. Now, this is where I have to give you a pause. The, the place they're at is between two valleys, 
and the wind and the weather just kind of blows in. It's not something you can see a long distance. You know, like when you can see a long distance, you can see a storm, kind of like how we can. You can kind of see, like, oh, there it is. Here it's coming, right? And you can get out there. This is between two massive hills. And so the wind would blow a storm in and then switch, switch the way the wind would blow. And their main form of propulsion was a sailboat. And so if you switch the wind, I don't know if you know this, but you can't sail against the wind. And so what does this mean? It means they have to row. They don't got no diesel motor. They have to row. Now I'm going to have you guys rowed lately, other than maybe for like two seconds at a gym. But it's hard work. Let alone if it's against the waves and against the wind. And I don't want to get too allegorical. I don't want to get too crazy in the description of what this could be like with us today. But I'll tell you the winds have shifted in the last month. And I'll tell you, some of you have been, we're going to be rowing for a long while still. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out uh, uh, to them, walking on the lake, which that just, I love how that's just like a, it's not a miraculous thing, it's not a crazy thing, he just throws that sentence out there and we're just supposed to go, "Uh uh-huh, cool. Totally normal. I did that all the time. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, this is where it starts to get our reaction, they were terrified. And I love that they thought it was a ghost. Can we just laugh about that for a second? Because I feel like they haven't seen a scary movie. They haven't dressed up for Halloween in their culture. But immediately, they're like, yeah, it's got to be a ghost. That's it. It's got to be a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I would love to have that sound bite. It would be amazing. But Jesus immediately, there's that word again, sent them out immediately, but also rescues them immediately. Pretty cool. Take courage. It is I. I love how he doesn't say his name, you guys. (laughs) Did you ever catch that when you read this? He's not like, oh, it's Jesus. He's like, it is I. How? I mean, you better be God if you're saying that. On a lake, walking across the lake, they think you're a ghost, and you don't even... You know, like, all right, just imagine this. You're out in your yard at three in the morning because something has happened, all right? And your neighbor sees you attempting to break back into your own house, or so he sees. And he yells at you from across his yard into your yard, and he says, Who is it? And you just say, It is I! Like, do you think that would work? I, I just, I, I read this and it just makes me laugh because I, I mean, the disciples, I'm sure, just watched him create food for 20,000 people, right? I mean, maybe he has a little bit of a, enough. I mean, he's brought many, many people. Maybe at this point he has that ability. Maybe that's exactly the way to disarm them the quickest. There is only I that could do this. 
maybe. Here's that phrase again. You, if you want just a cool thing to study, watch how many times anything that is not of this world interacts with something of this world that is of God has to say this phrase when they interact with us. Angel, Jesus, burning bush, whatever it is, don't be afraid. Don't freak out. This is too much for you. It's beyond your understanding. It is different. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, who in the world would ask that question? One and only Peter. I find it curious that Mark's gospel does not record this section. Did you know that? Mark's gospel does not record Peter's interaction with Jesus on the water. And you know whose Mark's gospel is? It's Peter's. He's like, yeah, yeah, just leave that part out. (laughs) I don't want to talk about that part. That's too embarrassing. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Now, imagine the other guys in the boat. Let's just get there for a second, okay? (laughs) I-44, okay? Let's just dry this up. I-44, heat of 5 o'clock, right outside Springfield, James River. Jesus is on one side of the highway. You're on the other. You're yelling, and you just say, is that you, Jesus? And he says, yes. And he says, if it is you, just tell me to walk to you right now. All right? How many of us, if we're in the church van, are looking at that person going, you're crazy, all right? There are better ways to figure out if this is actually Jesus. There are better ways to, like, let's call him. You know, like, let's just call him. Like, we just could call him, right? But there's some boldness in this. Just think about this. I mean, this, this is where I got to be careful, you guys, because I don't want to, I could preach on, for four hours on this. Think about this. He doesn't see the waves. He doesn't see the wind. He doesn't even see the gap of being able to walk on water. He doesn't see that as a, as a boundary or, or a wall. He doesn't see that as something, as an obstacle. He literally like, no, if it's you, God, I know all of that disappears in a moment and that if you call me to it, it, it all goes away. You want to talk about some raw, real faith. And you know what Jesus loves? Raw, real faith. One word answer. Come on over, man. Neat little fact, Jesus loves to say these little simple phrases, really piffy statements. When he is risen from the grave and one of the first ladies finds the empty tomb and runs into him, he greets her with the most least formal version of hi. That's his first word to her. Back from the grave, hi. 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 Come on over. It's not a brother if it is in you and your faith is strong. Right? Like, that was what I would imagine. If you can withstand the wind and the wind. No, none of that. Like, it's, it's just a come on. Come with me. I was in a tunnel with my kid, and he's freaking out. We're 20 feet over the ceiling in the city museum, rebar, open floor, staring at concrete. This is how we talk to each other. Come on. 
You can do it. Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water and came towards Jesus. How many guys are lined up behind him at this point? They're like, all right, ready, round two. Like, am I next? You know, like, I mean, like I'm, I'm serious, though. Like, how many of you are like, you watch your friends survive the ride at the, the sketchy fair, and then you're like, all right, I'm in. Like, I mean, this is that moment, right? He's, in, he's on the water. You're like, all right, I'm up next. <laughs> Let's go. But, He saw the wind, and he was afraid. Afraid. The beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. You know what's funny is he asked to be out there. Imagine that. Like, you asked to come. Immediately, hey, there it is again. Immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed back in the boat, this is when everybody just, you know, shut up. The wind died down. And then those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of of God. John actually says that the wind died down and they immediately arrived at their destination. Some would say that he switched the wind and the waves to his direction. Because he's more than just a man. Three quick observations that I've pointed out to you, but I want to make sure that you see. The first is this. All the men, all the people in this story, disciples, Peter, they are all terrified at some point. They're scared. It's not going well. They need saving. They're not sure what they're looking at. But Jesus says, take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. It's I. And the last thing is this little, little faith and doubts. One of the best things I ever learned about this passage is that little statement of ye of little faith. Um, that is misinterprets what it's supposed to be about. When, when we read that, we read it as a mount. Um, but the intended concept is Length. Ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Is not, why wasn't your faith bigger? It's, why didn't your faith last? Why didn't you hold on a little longer? It's an important understanding of that. So if you and I find ourselves terrified and needing to take courage and finding our faith at times to be little and our doubts a lot, like this text seems to point out to even his disciples who have just watched him mourn and then do a miracle beyond miracles. And you and I have seen his faithfulness and how he has pulled through difficult times and we can trust him for daily things like bread. 
But when the wind and waves come, we become terrified and we need to take courage again and our faith does not need to be small. So how do we take faith? How do we build our faith back up? What do we need to do? I want to give you three thoughts for this. Faith is the light in the darkness. One of my favorite sermons ever preached is by a guy named Levi Lusco. It's tack and it's called Turn Off the Dark. It's a Christmas Eve service that he preached three days after his six-year-old daughter died unexpectedly, and it is one of the most powerful sermons you'll ever watch in your life. It's called Turn Off the Dark. Faith is the light in the darkness. Faith does not have to be big to shine. You hear me? Faith does not have to be big to shine in the darkness. Even the smallest mustard seed of faith Shines bright in the darkness. If your faith, if you are judging it off the depth or the bigness that you think you are comparing yourself to, that you would like to be, want to be, see potentially in someone else, you need to rest and be certain that any level, taking a step out of the boat in the smallest degree, light shines in darkness. Cling to that. The second is this. Faith is meant to be lived, not tried. <laughs> faith is meant to be lived, not tried. How many... I've totally done that. Yeah, and I wouldn't have sank either. But that's not how faith is. Faith is lived in storms and waves. Faith is lived in darkness sometimes. And it has to shine. And it does not work with theory or knowledge. It works in real life. That's how faith is supposed to work. For you, the testing of your faith are times like this. If your faith doesn't work in this climate, your light's not on. It's meant to be lived out. These are the times. These are the moments. Faith gains confidence and clarity from consistency. If you have ever watched a child learn how to walk, that's how your faith goes. I'm telling you. You'll be told you can do it. You'll fall. You'll sink. You'll drown at times. You will stumble and fall. You will watch everyone around you walk, and you will wonder why you can't. Over time, it brings clarity. It brings that your faith hinges on. If you are not willing to bring your faith into a consistent Routine. Be careful. It might be a hobby. Be careful. It might not be your foundation. It might be a level, but it may not be the base level of where you're at. And in times like this, this is what I want you to know. If you're struggling in your heart, 
Fight for consistency. Wake up every day and give that holy gift of a breath to God and say thank you and start your faith there. Spark. Be the thing that starts your path. That it's a gift. Because they're not always going to be bright and beautiful moments like Nathan up here. And I'm in the back trying, I got to try to preach. I've been crying all weekend and now I'm crying again in the back. Because it's amazing. See the future of the church and what God's doing in hearts. I'll say it again. Your faith gains confidence and clarity from consistency. It will grow. It will nurture. Ravi Zacharias says, you want to learn to hear the voice of God, make it the first voice you hear every morning. When your eyes open, ask God to speak and just be quiet. You might fall back asleep. That's all right. Do it again when you wake back up. Make it the first voice you reach out for. I know I mentioned to you that faith is light in the darkness. I love what John says, and he also records this event with with Peter and Jesus. He says in John chapter 8, just a few chapters after this story, that Jesus is recorded saying this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen, light is never overcome by darkness. Light is never overcome by darkness. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, no matter how bad this world gets, no matter what we're wiping with, or how often we are able to get together, Christ bonds us all together. We are united under his name. He is our light. My favorite thought in this is this, is that the light in the darkness of this world only goes out in Peter when he takes his eyes off Jesus. The only time the wind and the waves and the water have a chance is when the light of Christ leaves Peter's eyes. That's the only time there's any chance. If he puts his eyes back, guess what? Boom. He's there. But even when he takes his eyes out, all he has to do is cry out to the light. And guess who's there immediately? It's Jesus. Because the light is not overcome by the darkness. One of my favorite verses that our youth group for 10 years held as kind of our central theme that I just absolutely love is Ephesians 5, chapter Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And it says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. The fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In this time, we are not fear-filled, angry, anxiety nitpicky complainers. We are not worry warts. We are strong and courageous. We are good, righteous, truth speakers. 
and the love of God. Just a few verses later, Paul continues and says this, Everything is exposed by the light. It becomes visible. Everything that is illuminated by the light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And I love these words. They rang true to me. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are dark. They're evil. But you are children of the light, and it cannot touch you. Jesus is speaking the message of his kingdom, and his kingdom is a place of light. The world in these moments, you guys, it sees the depth of the darkness that we know is there. And we can be tempted to feel it too. We can be tempted to feel the weight of death. Tempted to feel its sting that could possibly touch us. But I tell you again, the light is not overcome by the darkness. You are children of light. You are in a kingdom of light. It cannot touch you. But we need to be wise and be careful to do exactly what we need to do. Be in right standing with our neighbors. Be in right standing with those around us. Not condemning, not complaining, not getting frustrated. Being the light. It makes complete sense to me if someone is walking in darkness right now and does not know Jesus, that this may be one of the most fearful and difficult times that they've been in in a long time. This is unbe or not. The fear is real. It's real. We don't dwell in it. We don't live in it. But Jesus came into it to call people into the light. We are his children. We must do the same. We have an incredible church. I love our church. Let's not see this as all Debbie Downer. Let's see this as God providing, once again, a grave that can be turned into a celebration and an empty tomb. What Corona likes to claim, we end up claiming in the light. Because there is a thief that longs to steal, kill, and destroy, but there is a God that longs to bring full life. We're a part of that kingdom. Amen? Let's pray.